Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. You say you want to be in ministry. You say you want to be a leader. You say people need to put some respect on your name because you, you was an adult. They need to respect your authority because you've been saved for a long time. Hello? Mm. I want us to look at the topic for today <clears throat> entitled Willing and Able. Willing and Able. I woke up to go to Home Depot on Saturday morning, and I had an appointment. Someone was meeting me at the house at 10, so I wanted to get there. I got up at 8. I was going to go to Home Depot and get everything started, lumber cut, carpet measured and cut. So all Tori had to do was meet me there, and we can load up the, his truck. I waited and waited. My 10 o'clock appointment pushed back to 11. <coughs> I got to 11, I said, okay, it's too late, I have to go. I got in my car, got to Home Depot about 12 o'clock. I was in Hope Depot for four hours. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a project here at the church, but Home Depot is a, is a, is a time warp. You're waiting for somebody for everything, to cut, to measure, to pick up, to move. And it tried my nerves, to say the least. Only to find out by the time we got everything loaded, all picked out and paid for, Tori's man was not ready or able to bring the stuff to the church. I said, we can rent a truck, a van. We don't have any. Got in my car and thought for a second, what are we going to do? Now, on my way to Home Depot, me and the Lord had a conversation. I said, I am stupid, Father for deciding to repair this stage in the midst of everything else I've got going on. Did not use my brain on this, okay? I should pull back. Let's take, not, won't we, you don't have to so return it all. This is a good time to return everything. And, and we can just, we had no way to get it here. Return it, return it all. I recalled sitting in the Home Depot parking lot, my trip to Home Depot, and I said, Father, I am exhausted physically. And adding this project to my exhausted self is probably not a good idea. And it's not the physical exhaustion on a Saturday in as much as it is the spiritual and emotional exhaustion. Because while I'm here, I'm still praying and seeking God for a message. And then you guys have your things. And then sometimes your things conflict with my things. And then I have to rebuke, correct, or reprove. And that could take me to 4 o'clock in the morning with people being disrespectful. And it becomes a whole thing. So I said, it's that part right there. I said, now I'm already being uh, challenged with people saying that I speak rudely even when I'm not being rude. I speak out of pocket when I, when I gave you ample opportunity to talk. So now I have to go into a situation knowing that just being around human beings could cause conflict 
at an already stressed situation. They don't know, right? You're just going about your life, expressing your feelings, saying how you feel. You don't know who died or that it would matter that they died or that somebody else might have died or, or the budget or anything else. You're, you're oblivious to these things, right? I'm just explaining. I said, Lord, I think I am willing to do this work, but I don't know if I'm able to do it well. I'm willing, but I don't know if I'm able, and I don't like not being able. See, there's, there's two parts to willing and able. Being willing and not able sucks, and being able and not willing is also frowned upon. So to be willing and not able is, a pro is problematic. So I said, Father, I'm willing to work on the stage. I don't know if I'm able to do it in a very pastorly form. How many pastors do you know build stages in their own church? But I'm going to have to do this in pastor mode. Right? Because if I step outside of pastor mode and just be real, you don't want to see that. You think you saw it. You have never seen it. None of you. Yes, I'm looking down the row. No, none of you. Even at my worst, you have not seen the non-leader of me. Nope. Nope, you haven't. One person probably saw us probably June back in the day when we went to college together. And we was knucking and bucking. But other than that, <laughs> y'all ain't never seen that. Okay? So I said, all right. <clears throat> I think I, I, I'm definitely willing, but I don't know if I'm able and I began to ask him, I said, well, can you just tell me if this is a good time or not? Now, what I really want to know is, will this be successful? Because I'm not really willing to go through this if it's not going to be successful. Is the stage going to be decent? And to me, it ain't even about the stage as much as it is the time, the interaction. Their interaction with one another is far more important than the outcome of the stage. And people don't recognize that about me. I already have plans if this was a flop. But I don't have plans other than correcting you if your character is a flop. So I'm like, is this going to be productive, fruitful? In essence, do you, do you agree that I should have put it on this date? Or do you think I, like I think that I was stupid for putting it on this date? Because if you also think that I was stupid, then I could, I could pull back. We can change all of this. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit said something very plain to me. He said, what do you want? You're asking me to tell you if something is going to work or not. When faith is not about that. Faith is about what do you want? What do you believe in? I said, well, if I had to call it, I want us to work on the stage. I want us to work on it in such a way that we enjoy our time together under a very intense situation. Power tools are intense for women. I don't know if you know this. She's sweating. Your hands are shaking. <laughs> 
It's loud. <sighs> a man get a scar. Oh, he's a hard worker. A woman get a scar. What is wrong with you? What have you been doing with your life? Right? I said, I want to do it if, in fact, it, it, it proves to be beneficial. If the atmosphere stays where it needs to stay. If no one steps out of pocket, if everyone stays cheerful and exuberant, and if most of anything, if everyone is just helpful, no attitudes, that's really what I want. He said, okay, I believe you shall have it by faith. And I said, not a problem. Got to Home Depot in four hours and said, mm. Now, if the Home Depot people stress me out, and I don't even know them, <laughs> don't nothing hurt more than the people that you know. So I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm about to fool up and go in here with them. So, okay, we're going to have a great time. But my ability to have a great time was off, you know, it's stressful, a lot to think about, you know. But we did it. We made it through it. We had a great time. We felt very productive. People took their mild checks for what they were, okay, and moved on, amen? Because if you think at the risk of having fun, I'm just gonna ignore your bad character, it's not gonna happen, baby, right? So we made it through, we had a wonderful time. It was everything I had hoped that it would be. It really was, it really was. I said, okay, I know my hiccups here and there, right? It's good, it's a good thing. And I learned something about the Father that I wanna show you through the book of Philippians. <clears throat> what it means to be willing. The effectiveness of willingness. The spiritual necessity of willingness. How you cannot get around willingness with God. And when you try, the only thing you end up with is bad insides. You can clean the outside of that cup all you want. You can fake it till you make it. You can push it down the road. You can kick the can down the road. You can procrastinate, whatever you want to do. But if you have not harnessed willingness with the Father under duress, Right? And you're not developing the type of Christ-like character that the word of God calls for. And I'm going to prove it to you. Amen. Philippians verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 is where we're going to look at willing and able. We're going to look at this verse as a keynote verse, but we're going to run through pretty much all of Philippians. Some highlights, I think it's just good for you to see. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Coming off the heels of last week, we were in Philippians. Verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right? That's what it says. Right? Now, if you look at that, verse 13, and you read down just, I'll read up at verse 12. 
If you go to verse 12 and read verse 13, you're going to find where I got confused. And maybe you have had these questions also. Mm -hmm. Verse 12 reads, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed so, have always obeyed so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. These two statements side by side are perplexing to me. Because it says, work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. Then it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Anybody ever read them two together? No, because most times we take that one piece. And that's all we've, but there's a comma there, which means that these thoughts, this is one, one singular thought. And this is where it is paradoxical. Because if he's working in me the will and the able, then what am I working as it relates to salvation? Work out your own salvation. But you already said you're working on the will and the able. If I could want to do everything you want me to do and do everything you want me to do, I'm pretty sure I'd be saved. This is a given, this is given as a reason for making an effort to be saved or for working out our salvation. It is often thought to be uh, the very reverse. And people often feel that if God works in us to will and to do, there can be no need of our making an effort. And that there would be no use in it. If God does all the work, say they, why should we not patiently sit still and wait until he puts forth his power and accomplishes in us what he wills. How many times you say, well, I'm just not there yet. I have to wait on the Father to get me there. My heart is not there. He hasn't done it. I have to wait for him. We have used this as an excuse to justify our inability to do our part. Hello? I'm, 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 I'm coming for that. I'm coming for that. I'm coming for all of that because that is not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that it is God who makes us to will and makes us to do. No. It says it is God who works in us. Are you with me? All right. We'll get to that. Let's back up to chapter one. In order to understand the book of Philippians, you got to look at Paul. We've, we've done a series on the book of Acts, and it really showed us some of the, the accomplishments of Paul. Um, but one writer uh, wrote, and I, and I had to agree, that the apostle Paul has many faces, several faces, which are evident in his epistles. He's not just one type of person. He has multi-faces. He does. And he shows them all in his writing. For example, there is Paul, the theologian. You can see Paul's very logical reasoning in the book of Romans. He has meticulously works his way through the doctrine of salvation. In 1 Corinthians, for example, we see Paul, the troubleshooter. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he deals with wisdom and questions that have been asked to him and with problems he has discerned through the communication with others. 
In First and Second Timothy and Titus, we see a very fatherly Paul. Here, Paul is a mentor, giving wise counsel to younger men in ministry. In Galatians, we find a very different Paul altogether. He's the warrior Paul. He reminds us of a great deal of, of an of a, of a evangelist and, and, and an apologist, and he is in mad mode. As we read Galatians, we see a very animated and even angry apostle, incensed by the fact that some are turning from the gospel of salvation by grace alone and embracing another gospel. A gospel of works. This other gospel does not save but condemns. And here in Philippians, Paul shows us yet another face. In order to understand the context, let's look at chapter one. We ended, we ended there on last week, but let's now look at it again. Chapter one of, 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 of Philippians. And let's pick up at around verse 21. He's already discussed that there are some people that are preaching the gospel for their own uh, self, self-aggrandizement, all right? And they are either intentionally or unintentionally adding affliction to his already down bad situation. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're seeking yourself <clears throat> um, at a time where someone else is already bound, you're adding affliction to their chains. And I don't think that sometimes we recognize that. Now, the mature and the wise do. They can see where they are and they can see where you are and say, you know what? I'm going to let you have that because I don't want to add affliction to your pain, right? You're already dealing with, ah, aha, so we know, we know this phrase, right? So they pull back and they go, hmm, no, not going to do that, not going to do it, right? Paul is saying that while he is in prison, there are other people that are trying to make themselves big, to show off their talents and their abilities, how they have grown in the gospel. And he says it's, it's, it's very self-centered. And they're preaching from strife and envy. Because the only reason you're standing up right now is because secretly you're envious of what I've done in the kingdom of God. And so he tells them, but it's okay. This is the part. It don't even bother me as long as they're preaching the gospel. How you preach the gospel, what's in your heart when you preach it, is irrelevant to me, long as you preach it. What? I'm like, no, it's the heart. Paul, he's like, "Mm, it's all right. It's all right. Let's just thank God that the gospel is spreading. Huh. Good things to think about. Because sometimes... We can disqualify people because their intentions were bad. Not only disqualify them, but we won't even use what they bring to the table. Paul said, yeah, your heart is real foul, but go ahead and preach that. Thank you so much for sharing that right over there. Thank you. And there's Jesus over there. Thank you so much. And Jesus over there. I don't have to worry about your insides. That's you and the Lord's business. Interesting, Paul. Now, this is not his disciples. These are people that are not his disciples. Let's make that plain. All right. Okay. So he says, um, in verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, 
for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more nece necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know um, that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is saying, listen, this stuff is getting out of control. The prisons, the beatings, the, the whipping, all of this, the, the trials, the journeys, the shipwrecks. I mean, Paul's gone through a lot. At this point, he's pretty old. Yeah. He's like, I, I, if the Lord let me choose, I don't even know which one I would choose. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to focus on this part, to live is Christ. What Paul is trying, you have to know where Paul is coming from. He is so enthralled with Jesus and God that everything about how he lives is about Christ. Everything. Everything about what he does, where he goes, how he eats, who he talks to, what he says, what he writes. Everything is Christ. So when he says to live is Christ, what he's saying is everything about what I'm doing is for the cause of Christ. Now in your notebooks, let's write down how much of your percentage of yourself is in line with that. How much do you live and say it is just for Christ? Not me, not my feelings, not my success, not my future, not my legacy, not my bank account, not my retirement account, not my children, not my husband, not my wife, not my dogs. Come on, put it down in your journals. The percentage to which you feel to live is Christ for you. Is if, if I am to live in the flesh, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul said the only reason to live in this flesh is that I might have fruit in my endeavors. Kingdom fruit. Gospel fruit. That's the only reason. As we prepare for my pastor, Aunt Sharon's funeral, this verse, of course, echoes uh, because I am certain that that is exactly how she lived, no matter what. And as a pastor, specifically your pastor, I am here to live by example and to encourage you to live the same way, where 100% of you is living for Christ. Ideally, I would like to get you there while you're still able to do things. Amen. Not like on your sick bed. Now, oh, I'm suffering for you, Christ. Now everything is for you. Yeah, you can't go nowhere. All right? But where your whole heart is saying, I am living for you and not for myself. This is the role of a pastor to his or her disciples. 
You cannot escape this if you're going to flow in the body of Christ. It's founded on this way of life, not what you've concluded. Make sense? When I looked at Paul and I read this and I processed coming here to do the carpet and the floors and the stage and, and I said, Lord, this is about to be a lot of labor. Spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And I don't even feel like it's for the expansion of the gospel. Preparing my stage is not for preaching the gospel. You don't have to have a stage to preach the gospel. You know that and I know that. There's a part of me that felt, this is stupid. I'm sacrificing self. For four walls. And as a pastor, I'm going, is it really worth any of this? I'm, I'm up stressing about budget, running numbers, shifting money around, trying to poop, pay Rob Peter to pay Paul. And can you put that, can we put that on the car? Can you swap this over here? I've got all kinds of things going on. And I said, Lord, I've been doing this. Going, we're almost, what, 10 years old? I said, you know, the, the first couple of years, that was fun. <laughs> now, it is, it is, this, is what, this is what it is about. This is what it does. And when it starts to get taxing, I go, really? We don't even need none of this. And I'm sure you guys could agree. We don't, have, we don't need no church. But a church building does make it easier. Yeah. You don't need a microphone to preach. But a microphone does make it easier. Yeah. You don't need a stage. But the stage makes it easier. And I said, Lord, but Paul was out here just preaching and risking his life. He said, you risked your life? Hmm. Touche. Well, Paul was just serving till his body was all beaten. Your body's beaten. Touche. And I said, well, but mine is not for the same type of glorious stuff as Paul's. And he said, says you. How dare you downplay the work I've given you to do? But I'm just stage walls. It's not even. I used to be on the gospel, and I'm just let's take guys and offerings and put down the stage and put the little things out. Let's gather the people together. This is so you get to determine. Ministry. This is how you serve this generation. This is how you serve them. You want them to come in? You better give them a place to come in. Whether you like it or not, these four walls have provided home for people, have provided direction for people, acceptance for people. I mean, these little four walls have provided so much. I was like, okay, you're right. Well, get me together. <laughs> because if it was tiny, but you could see directly how it affected the kingdom, you wouldn't mind. And so he had to remind me of how it affects the kingdom. 
I said, well, that's all you had to say. I was, go ahead, let's run on, let's do this. Because for me to live is Christ. I'm not into doing stuff for religious sake. I'm not into do it for tradition's sake. How is this affecting Christ and the dissemination of the gospel? Period. That's in my conversations with you and our dialogues and your rebukes, your proving that you got to take the gospel out here and not just from your mouth, how you live will speak before you open your mouth. Who's responsible to train that up? To make sure that what you're preaching and saying, number one, lines up with the word and lines up with your life. Right? I mean, I'm not really responsible for it. I'm just here to observe. He says to live is a fruitful labor. If I'm going to keep waking up every morning, I get that. If I'm going to keep waking up every morning doing this, I need to see some fruit. And as you can see, where I'm quick, where I don't see fruit, snip, snip. Long gone are the days where, oh, we don't see no fruit. Let's just wait. We waited. Snip. Snip, cut, prune, prune. Cut it all down. Bring it all down. Shrink it down to what is fruitful and effective, not what is large and dead. I don't need a big entourage of dead folk. Not growing in God, not developing in the spirit of God. Just, just I go to church. Just, oh, don't look at my inside. Don't look at my background. Oh, don't look at my life. It's just No, sorry. Let me stay focused. He said, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I feel you, Paul. Yeah, I ain't going nowhere. Why? Them. I'm convinced <laughs> thoroughly that my assignment is not done. Apparently. Oh, Pastor, you're right. I'm fine. Ain't gonna nothing happen to me. Why? You. He says, verse 27 says, now. I know that I'm here for that, and I don't mind working for that. And he goes on to say, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's not saying what you do. He's saying how you do. Manner of life. Not that you did the task. But how did you do the task? Not that you said endured, but how did you endure? He says, my only thing is, could you let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel? As if your lifestyle and the methods to which you do life are held accountable to the gospel that you proclaim. You want to stop? No. You want to do the stage? Yes. Are you going to do it grumbling? No. Are you going to do it stressed? No. 
Are you going to do it excited? Yes. <laughs> Are you going to do it hopeful and faithful? Yes. <laughs> it is so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm. Now watch these words, and I want you to do a study on your own of how many times you hear Paul reference one mind, same mind, follow me, imitate. All right? Just do your own study on how often he mentions that because that is a huge theme in Philippians. What you need to know about the Philippian church is they were the role model of all churches for Paul. Okay? okay. Paul praises the Philippian church more than any other church. The first church of a second missionary trip to Europe, you remember? When he went to the Philippian jail, how the earthquake came and him and all the prisoners stayed. Yeah. And he went to the prisoner's house and saved his household. And okay, that's, that's Philippi, okay? A great, huge church was birthed in Philippi, all right? It is one of Paul's dearest. That Galatian church gave him, gave him a run for his money. Corinthian church had drama. Do you understand? Romans church. A lot of bad doctrine, all right? Jews mixing in, still not accepting Christ, all kind of stuff going on, right? It was tough. <clears throat> Does that may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit? Okay, I get that, right? With one mind. Then he says striving with each other. Striving against each other? Striving where? Side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You're not scared of what the enemy's going to do? No. You're not scared of what people are going to say? No. You're not scared about what their boss might do or what? No. And when you stand together in that, it proves to them that they're headed for destruction. Because the only way you could deal with that and not be afraid is that it had to come from God. That's the only way. He says, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign. It's going to be destruction for them and salvation of you because that comes from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Let's read that again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul is reading this as a blessing. And off the top, most of us will go, I just rather just believe. You, you, you still get to heaven, believe me? I just believe in him. One author once wrote, a pastor, that was encouraging other pastors about the usefulness of uh, suffering. Actually, he was a rabbi. Um, the usefulness of suffering. And he said, he used to always say that suffering builds character. 
He said, until, he said, I will never forget the last words of a dear friend who battled cancer three times. And some of his final words before he died was, I don't need that much character. If you think that suffering is only for you, then you don't need that much suffering. At some point, you're going to say, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need anything else. This hurts too much. This is too bad. I can't deal with it. What else are you trying to get out of me? It's not working because everything thus far has been about how you benefit and what you stand to gain. And he's saying the blessing that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He says that you could be engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Just so, do you see Paul is trying to say, you're going to suffer and engage in the same way that I have and that you hear, you hear that I have. It's going to be a blessing. If you want to know what church is about and leaders are about, that you could see the suffering of a leader, see the forward progression, the call for Christ, that you might what? Do, do what? The same. Not differently, the same. If you believe that that leader suffers for the cause of Christ, extols the kingdom of God, spreads the gospel, right? Through much adversity and problems, shouldn't you want to be that? Ah, you're willing, but are you able? I really want to be one that under great duress and pain and conflict and grief and strife and lack and stress and anxiety and insecurities, that I want to be one that no matter what, I stand firm for the call of Christ. Definite willing people. Any able? Any able? Chapter 2 says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That means you're not focused on you. You're not doing anything about you. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He goes on to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You need to be mindful, have the same mind, and all of us would have the same. Can you imagine if we all had the same mind to be obedient to the point of death? How powerful of a church would we be if not even if we just had five folk to be obedient to the point of death? Death is when you about to lose everything. That means everything here, gone. You lost it all, right? That's the epitome of, of the worst case scenario, right? And Christ, his death wasn't like in his sleep of natural causes. It was from wrongdoing. People that did not believe correctly did him wrong. And he was obedient to God in the midst of their wrongdoing. Oh, no, I'm hitting all them targets. Because you will swear I did you wrong. Hello? And even if I did, even if I did, no excuses, but let's put the emphasis back on you and what you're responsible for. Even if somebody did do you wrong, if the wrong already happened, your next, apparently that's what God wanted because that's where it is. Okay? Permissible, acceptable, perfect. I don't know which one of the wheels it is, but it was there. Now the next step is your choice. It's your choice. In the heat of this thing breaking down and saw coming undone and we ain't got no blade, we ain't got no miter cut, this and that. I had to say self. What are you going to do? Are you going to get rude? Are you going to get short? Are you going to get nasty? Because apparently this is on the agenda for today. Everything else is my choice. I can choose whether I'm going to let my frustration cause a response out of me. I can choose whether I'm going to let my affliction cause a response out of me. My broken finger, my bad back, my scoliosis, my bad knee. I get to choose. Y'all know the mantras. You can't control people do, but you control how you respond. But you don't, let, you don't act like it. And I don't think it's not, it's not because you're not willing. It's because you're really not able. You do not know how to hold the reins of your elephant. And when somebody tries to instruct you, the elephant runs amok again. They try to show you in little ways and big ways how you have to control your emotions. Cold books on emotional health as a leader. I mean, tons of work we do in this. Tons of teaching, counseling, discipleship, a visible experience and seeing someone who has to hold the reins of an elephant that is big and massive. For you to say, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. I'm going to get there. He said Christ was obedient even unto death. 
He said, even death on a cross, the most humiliating, the most embarrassing way to die, he was obedient even to that. But you would think clearly this isn't what God wants because these people are wrong. Clearly, this is not what God wants because they're wrong, because they don't understand, because they don't really understand me as the Christ, because they really don't see me as who I am. Clearly, this is not what God wants. No, clearly it was. And your goal is not to ascertain the will of God in that moment. It already happened. Your goal is to ascertain your obedience. You keep making excuses for your disobedience. for your inability to maintain control in the midst of pain, humiliation, suffering, persecution, that you get to act however you want to act because this has triggered you. You're going to be uncomfortable with me because I don't live a life where that is acceptable. So you're not going to be able to follow me because I'm always going to say, oh, you need to get that together. Come on. There's a time and place. That's not the time nor the place. Let's go. All right, now it's the time and place. Cry. All right, you got it out? All right, good. Let's go. I mean, that's, that's it. But just knee-jerk reactions is, is not acceptable. Because you could will to not, what's the word when the people say, you, to not reject Christ? And because you have no emotional stability, you end up rejecting him. You can will not to do it again, and you have no, not the ability. Do you understand? And you go, How do I get the ability? I'm going to show you, but we're not there yet. Just therefore, God has highly exalted him, this is the Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, is that, where am I? Verse 13? Verse 12. As you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but as much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling. Do what things? All. Only the things you like? No. Only the things you agree with? No. Only the things you can understand? No. Only the things you can see how, to, how it's going to benefit you? Only the things you can see how it's going to work. Only the things you can see how it's going to help you in the end. Only the things you can figure out. Is that what it says? The word of God says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be what? Blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I, Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I'm going to stop there. That, that part right there, that is a real thing. What causes more discouragement as a pastor for me 
is when I know I've labored with you on the insides with the spirit of God to no avail. It's like, come on, really? We still, you still? I mean, some of these lessons y'all had to learn were taxing for both of us. Cost the church forward momentum. That's a lot of labor. Is, can y'all just do it so that when I see you in glory, I'm like, yay, I knew it was worth it. It was so worth it. Amen. Don't you want, I want to be able to look past these past two years when mommy passed and they go, it was so worth it. Amen. Not, I could have got the same result without none of that extra. That's why he says your manner of life worthy of the gospel. Now, go back to verse 13, our key verse, verse 12 and 13, that B clause in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The most appropriate way to look at the idea of the, how we work our, work our own salvation, work out our salvation, and how God works the, his, his will and ability according to his good pleasure. The relationship of those two things is best understood from a commentary I read. It's very good. All right. It says the fact that God works is an encouragement for us to work. The fact that he works. What does that verse say? Yes. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do just whatever. Well, guess it was God's will that I messed up. That one where he was working. I guess it was God's will that I just couldn't handle it. No. I guess it was God's will that I sinned. No. It says what he works in you is for his good pleasure, not yours. That's specifically where he works in you. And this should be an encouragement for you to work. But the question is, but what do we do? If he's doing the heavy lifting, <laughs> the will and the ability, what do I do? The best way to understand that encouragement is when a man is about to set out a peach or an apple tree, it is an encouragement for him to reflect that the agency of God is around him, that he can cause the tree to produce blossoms and leaves and fruit. When the man is about to plow and sow his farm, it is encouragement, not a hindrance, to reflect that God's works and that he can quicken the grain that is sown and produce an abundant harvest. What encouragement of a higher order can man ask? And what farmer is afraid of the agency of God in the case? Or suppose that the fact that God exerts an agency is a reason why he should not plow and plant his field or set out his orchard. Poor encouragement would a man have in these things if God did not exert any agency in the world and could not be expected to make the tree grow or to cause the grain to spring up. And equally poor would it be that all the encouragement in religion without his aid. What this commentary is saying He's highlighting that the best relationship between you working out your salvation and God working uh, his will, working will and to do for his good pleasure, that the best way to see that 
is a seed that plants and that he plant in the ground. God has already done the work to make sure that that thing can produce. The, the seed, the soil, the sun, the rain, the, the mechanism itself, the sprouting, the roots, the, the leaves, the stem, the stigmatas, all of that. He designed all of it, right? He worked the ability and the desire for that thing, right? Your job is to plant, to make space, to till the ground, to water the seed. And you're doing that in courage, knowing that it's going to grow. Yeah. Has anybody ever planted something from a seed before? Yeah. I know minimum. We did it once as a project, right? Us city people was flabbergasted at the idea that we could put seeds in some dirt and come back and something has grown. We was like, all I did was put some water on it and put it in the sun. And then look, it's sprouting. I've got bean sprouts. It was nothing. Then I put the seed in the ground, and then it was something. And even though I did the minimum of what it requires to create bean sprouts, I did the minimum. I feel as if I took part. I feel like I was somehow a co-laborer in the kingdom and garden of God. My part was minimum, but I did it full of faith. I'm a water and put it in. I just said, Mo, do I do it right? Minmo, did I put it in there right now? How many days I got to wait? Okay, now, I, and I got to believe everything she tell me to do. Now, no, it's okay, Pastor. It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. But I come back. I don't see nothing. You always got something. Mine ain't got nothing. Minmo, is mine in the right sun? Do I have it in the right water? <laughs> this is you working out your salvation. See how easy it is for me to ask Minister Monty who understands plants. Am I doing this right? I'm not seeing nothing. Other people got stuff. Is this how it's supposed to go? I'm not really sure. Could, could you, what, is this the way you plant it? But pride will hinder you from asking people who are doing and have done what you're doing at a larger scale. What you're struggling with, I have done. I've done it. I've done it so much so that I can add new stuff while I'm still doing it. If you have a problem controlling your emotions, holler at me. My God. If you have a problem staying focused and staying goal-oriented in the midst of distractions and suffering and pain and, and, uh, and obscurity, I literally suffer for that opportunity to serve you. For that goal that you might see an ample example between us. So in case you don't see nothing coming from your ground, you know right who to ask. Not, well, I'll figure it out. So I come and say, you got too much water in your plant. Don't tell me how to. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not going to get the outcome you want. Don't tell me. I'm going to get it. Then when I have to say, no, I'm demanding respect at this point. 
Whatever you feel like you're going to do, you're going to do it at a level that is respectful. Period. Because you ain't going to take my advice. You're certainly not going to beat me up because I'm giving it. You signed up for this commitment. And so did I. I'm doing my part. You wouldn't breach a contract. I notice something, I tell you. I tell you, I say, do you need some help? Let me help you with that. Let me work on that. I got it. That, that's not what our contract stated. The vow we said one to another. She, pastor. Y'all said it. Right? Okay. So the best way to work out your own salvation while God is working uh, to will and to do for his good pleasure is you've got to plant seeds, you've got to tend to it, you've got to water, you've got to uproot weeds. You've got to seek professional help from people that plant whole gardens, right? All of this so that you might be fruitful, that your labor is not in vain. At some point, we grew them bean sprouts, and I was supposed to do something with them bean sprouts once they grew up, and Memo told me, and I never did it. You know what happened to them bean sprouts? You think you've gotten as far as you can get. You've done all of the advice that I've given you to this point. And when I say now, next, what we have to do is take it out of that pot, put it in this pot, then put it over here, then do that. Uh-uh. And you expect it to keep living. That's the funny part with me. You expect that you're going to keep having spiritual growth and more fruit and more fruitfulness. When, the, when me and the Holy Spirit already said, you need to change this up now. It's time to switch how you're handling this. You need to let that go. You're you, 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 you handling it the same way you used to. You're not there no more. You can say, why it ain't growing? Why it ain't growing? And to the point you don't even care. I don't even want it no more. Just throw it in the trash. It's of no value to me. It's of no use to me. Now, in Genesis, we were here to have dominion over the earth. We learned to tend to God's garden. Right? If something isn't working, hello? You are those that seek the master for how to get it to work. If you can't ask him how to do it, who will? And if you can't show the example of how it's done, who's going to show the example? God, how do I do this with this pain? How do I do this with this insecurity? How do I do this with respect? How do, how do I do this? If you're not asking him how to get your garden to grow, who is going to do it and who is going to show the world that you might be the light? She's so letting whole crops die. Well, I, don't even want, I don't even want to serve God like that. That ain't what you said last year. Three months ago. Four months ago, oh, I feel it burning in my spirit, Pastor. Oh, I want to. 
Or could it be that you did not follow instructions? That crop looks unfruitful and you gave up hope. Rather than rising to the occasion of adding more labor. You have to add more labor. The planting was the easiest part. Tell them. The planting is the easiest part. Gathering the harvest, preparing the ground for the next harvest, pruning it back. All, that's the hardest part. Maintaining. You ain't even got to the hardest part. All you keep doing is planting, let God grow it, and then you abandon it. That's what you do. That's what you do. And you can sit there like I'm in the home, like I'm driving to Home Depot like me. Well, maybe it's not in your will. Well, just tell me if it's, maybe it's not for me to do this. Maybe this, that, no, 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 no. You're looking at failing crops and the possibility of failing crops. And now you're second guessing what God wants. And he's going to tell you, but what do you want? And how you answer that should be based off of the identity that he gave you. Because that's what you're going to have to answer to. The you he made. Not the you you became. Look like my crop ain't doing so good. I can't. It's too hot. It's too heat. It's that I can't. I can just forget it. I don't even want it no more. You cannot be around me in this church and expect that that's going to stay. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to correct you. I'm going to reprove you until you can get that harvest. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly who God calls you to be. And that's exactly what we want. Now you all doubtful. No, let me just let me just break it be even more honest, okay? Going to the Home Depot, I was doubtful. I have not had to have an undertaking like this that is emotionally, physically, and spiritually taxing in years, and not since none of them have I done since my mom's passed. I felt like I could fail at it. That it could be a disaster, not in how it turned out, but how I turned out. That's what I felt. And I said, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. Because I don't think I'm really able. I'm looking down the road at the possibility of failing. And I recognize that somewhere in me through my mother's passing, I got doubtful of my ability in God. Because you scale back so much to deal with the grief. And then you got to start adding it back. And you don't know if you're about to add the right thing at the right time. So I said, Lord, I can't keep abandoning the things that are difficult to do at my church. Because of fear of my inability. In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And all I can say all day is, strengthen me, oh God. 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 
Strengthen me, oh God. <laughs> That's all I can say. And he did. Now y'all gotta y'all gotta recognize, and he did. I don't, you gotta see that ain't the struggle. You gotta recognize that he did. Am I not standing on what he did? Are not the same people came back to church? Apparently I didn't kill him. He did it. Cause some of y'all quick not to show up. About that. <laughs> Y'all in the building. This, let's, let's keep going because I want to show you something. I want to show you something next. I, I see the point here. There's a point that Paul gets into next. I don't want you to recognize it's a struggle. The goal is you can recognize that he satisfied what was needed for the struggle. It don't mean that my knees didn't hurt. don't mean that my back is not aching. Numbness down my foot, broke finger, throbbing. This happened. But I wasn't so concerned about that as I was about forward momentum at this church, about whatever God wants to put in the hearts and minds of people. And look at what you got. No, people that weren't here got something. People that were here got something. You have an ability to see that God strengthens. For what any human being would say is impossible. I literally drove to Home Depot going, this is impossible. Yeah. Stefan ain't here. Only got one man. Whole bunch of ladies. This is impossible. Oh, I got to get a table saw. I don't know how to work a table saw. I'm going to cut my finger off. Oh, Lord. And if you were here, everybody knew that out of all the people here, I was the most capable. Do you know what it means to be the most capable? No, you think you got it bad because you're not capable. No, you have it bad when you are capable. Oh, nobody trusts me with anything. Good, sit down. See how you're sitting and resting? Right. That's what happens when you're not capable. But when you're very capable, Pastor, 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 can you help? Pastor, can you? Pastor, I mean, I could try, but uh oh, it's crooked. Pastor, 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 I don't think, Pastor. Oh, you want to be better at stuff. If you want to be better at things, your personality has to change. If you want to be better at multiple things, you got to have a better character than that. You do. Because being good at things can be powerful and it can take you under. Can you be good and gracious? Can you be overly taxed and patient? Hello? Sit on now. Try, try. He strengthened. You got to see how he did it. Hello? All righty. Uh, where am I? He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Aphroditus. I'm going to talk about Aphroditus. What time is it? Y'all all right? All right. 
I found it necessary. I thought it necessary to send you Aphrodite, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all the joy and honor of such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Did you catch what Paul just did? Aphrodite came and sent supplies from the Philippian church to Paul while he was in prison. Right? And in this process, he got deathly sick. Right? There was no short uh, list of things that Aphrodite probably had to help with. The fact about him is this, that he was one of the Philippian Christians and sent by, Rome, by them to Rome with some pecuniary or material help, such as comforts for Paul's prison house, food, clothing, or money. There was no reliable way of getting these things to Paul but to take them. And so Aphrodite faced the long journey across Greece to Bredisney and Rome. And when he arrived there, he threw uh, himself with ardor into serving Paul. The apostle's heartfelt um, words upon him shows two phases of his work. Aphrodite's first phase, he was the first place Paul's helper in the gospel. And his faithfulness there is set forth in a glowing climax. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He was in the second place the minister to Paul's needs. There would be many ways of serving the captive, looking after his comfort, doing his errands, procuring daily necessities, managing affairs, perhaps writing his letters, easing his chain, chafing his, anky, his aching wrists, and ministering in a thousand ways which, cannot be, uh, which we cannot and need not specify. At all events, he gladly undertook even servile work for the love of Paul. I like to read commentaries that say these things because you would think that what you do is odd. You would think that how you care, how you have decided to be a soldier for the body of Christ, how you might stand with me, how you might say that is awesome, how you might run to the store, how you might help me with my back, that somehow this is not written, this was written and it was done. Lest you, you discredit the ministry that God has placed in your hands. Yes, you could have something grand, but this is what he gave you. See, that's what he gave me. <laughs> right? Build the stage. Okay. <laughs> and I just like to just, I wanted to read that so people could see the manner of people that were around Paul. Soldiers, servants, bandage wounders, gauze bringers, sugar testers, blood pressure takers, shoe fixers, robe fixers, dinner bringers, late night snack, medicine reminders. That it has a place in God's kingdom. 
those who like to chop it up with theological conversations. Those who like to expound on the gospel and ask questions. Who seek to find out the truth. That they might be able to be called my fellow laborer. Not yet. <laughs> but one day. Right? He had an illness which was probably the consequence of his toil. Perhaps overexertion and travel. Or perhaps his Macedonian constitution could not bear the invader innervating air of Rome or perhaps Paul's prison was unhealthy at any rate he worked till he made himself sick the news reached Philippi in some roundabout way and it appears as it appears the news of his illness only and not of his recovery the difficulty of communication was sufficiently account for the partial intelligence then the report was found its way back to Rome and Aphrodite got homesick and restless and uneasy and sore troubled I don't want them to think that I just, I'm sick. There are people that love me. They need to know I'm better. I can't Facebook it. Mark safe. No, they don't have that. I need to tell them. I need to show them. Yes? That's Aphrodite, right? Finally, my brothers, chapter three. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ. Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence... In the flesh, I have more. Paul, is this a competition? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gained, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Let me stop right there for just a second. One of the third points, fourth points that I wanted to cover is. What is needed for the resurrection of the body is loss. Let me show you what I, this is what Paul is trying to say. If you're not careful, your insecurity about how you don't measure up to what Paul is doing might make you read this as if he's a, in competition with you. Right? I mean, if anybody, I've done, I've done this, and I've had this, and I've had that, and I let it all go. I had a million dollars, and I let it go. I did this, and I let it go. La, la, la. You'd be like, oh, Paul, it is a competition. But there's one word in here that ends that competitive mindset, if you listen. And that word is but. With that word but at verse 7, Paul is showing you that this is not about what I lost in the list of it, but rather if I lost this much and have gained more than you and can let it go, surely you can let it go. The but 
is to say, look at this, which is greater than what you've done, and I let it go so that you might let it go. It's not a competition. It's a comparison for realization. Hello? People say, Pastor, you compete, we compete, you, it's a competition, you compete with me? Snookums. How could I compete with you? Number one, I'm for you. I don't race against you. I race with you. That's something you got going on? And number two, if I'm going to win, where is the competition? <laughs> no, seriously. This spot right here automatically, by God, says I'm ahead. Literally, ahead. The head before the feet. Why would we compete when I am the head? That's like me saying to a, to a, to a, to a little baby, you want to race? <laughs> you want to race? Like, it's like uh, no, no, we, it's for all the money. For One, I'm for you, and number two, it can't be a competition. Because I already won. It's already been decided. God already decided I'm ahead of you. Why would I waste my time also trying to reprove it to you? Or are you trying to prove something to me? Are you trying to prove something to me? Is Satan trying to use you to prove something to me? To cause strife and contention as if we're supposed to be arguing one another? Because I can't understand why we arguing since we're supposed to be striving together. Hello, somebody. Minister Monifa don't argue with me. And I believe she's ahead over you. And if she don't, not only does she not argue, she strives to understand what I'm trying to tell her. She's a little, you know, aggressive with it. But it's okay because I'm aggressive. She don't mind that we go to when when we when we're talking out of love. She don't mind that our conversations get heated because she's not hurting my feelings and I'm not hurting hers. We have that understanding. She go back, Pastor. I did not like how you said that to me. She be like, We both were saying some stuff, but I'm glad. I'm glad we got to a good resolve. I'm like, Yes, we did. Great. No, Pastor. No, no. I know I went high, but you went higher. Yes. <laughs> Not go low, but I'm gonna still get that work done. And that's what you don't like. Cause now when I go low, you got nowhere to hide. And I'm just down here just, <laughs> just jabbing them kneecaps, getting them Achilles heels. Snip, 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 snip. Like, I, I mean, she, she, it ain't what she said. 
It's how she, well, she ain't saying no way. It's, how, it's what she said that I, it's a whole, I don't, for 10 years. <laughs> what is needed for the resurrection of the body? Look at this. He says that I may know, verse 9. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteous from God that depends on faith. He's saying, I count it all rubbish. I don't want any righteousness that came from me saying I did right. I want only the righteousness that I get through faith in Christ. Whether you're right or wrong, you're going to have to call it, not me. Right? Just how I believe in him. That's it, his will. He said, I may, it says, and be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from and depends on faith, that I might know him and what? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. There's an and here. And may share his sufferings, comma, same thought, becoming like him in his death. Same thought, comma, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You just need to read the word for what it say. All these little theories and thoughts you got, it's right there. It's right there. What is needed for the resurrection of the body it's that you become like him in his death. Now he already told you how he died. Obedient. Let me tell you something right up top. If God appointed me as pastor and you cannot be obedient to me, you don't stand a chance for maintaining your obedience to the Father. I'm the low-level flunky of the whole organization. Everybody ever work for corporate America? When your boss get on your nerve and they tell you to do something and you don't want to do it and then you decide to go above them, how does that work out for you? But you expect that's going to work here. And then you don't even go above me. You go amongst each other. You're going to form a coup? Let me tell you something. You form a coup against me and my own church, they're going to leave you high and dry. Because I know, like they know what God allows me to do in their lives that you is not going to be able to do, nor is the rest of them be the people that you done got gathered up together going to be able to do. I'm serious. But in Jesus' name, what I do for one person is more than collectively what y'all whole families might do for you. Hello? Nevertheless, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The idea of the suffering is that you learn how to be obedient through difficult times. Amen. Learn to be, be obedient during painful times. Be obedient. During, during emotionally triggered times. Be obedient 
during emotionally charged times. Be obedient during poverty times. Be obedient during stress times. Be obedient during aggravated times. Do being obedient, you know, during I don't understand this times. I don't I don't know where this is going time. I don't like how it's going. What is the what is the point of all of this? That you might be obedient. Because Christ suffered on a cross by people who were very wrong. We're just asking you to suffer in the church for the betterment of your character and growth in Christ. Later, we're going to talk about how it's not all about you. But can you at least do this much? Being disobedient to the flunky that is ahead of you, I'm the head flunky over you. If you can't obey me in simple things, because of your emotions, who you want to believe that you obey in God? And the manner to which you have found to disobey is exactly the manner to which you have found to disobey God. Like some people have a manner where they just do it. I'm going to do it. I ain't going to say nothing. I'm just going to do it. Check how they do God. I'm going to do it, and I ask for forgiveness later. I'm a reason why it's okay. I'm going to do it later after I give it some thought. This is a low-level job that we get to see a reflection of what you refuse to see about how you handle God. Always. That's one of the exhausting parts because I'm a buffer to show you that so you can stop having that pattern with him. The manner of life worthy of the gospel. We all have to check our methods of disobedience. What we use to get ourselves to do what we ain't supposed to be doing. I think this is the last point for the day. So what is needed for the resurrection of the body is suffering that suffering might conform us to his death. That makes sense, don't it? That we have to die like Christ in order to be raised, resurrected like Christ. Don't that make sense? But you're going to die full of self-will. Full of your own righteousness. Full of your own justifications, your own reasonings. Well, that's just how I see it. Well, that's just where it is for me. And you expect, if Christ himself did it, being God, and did not mind doing it, being God, made himself of no reputation, became a servant. He was a servant to the most unjust people ever. You can't even obey your minister, your department lead. Your tribe chief. Without something to say. Some grumbling. It's not right. It's not godly. It's not what the church is supposed to be, but you're supposed to be the light. People are supposed to see if I go, Danny, 
I can't believe you did that, Danny. Oh, my God. What were you thinking? That was a terrible idea. And Danny go, I'm so sorry, Pastor. Do that. What would y'all think about Danny? And you would think, if I was in her seat, I don't know if I could respond that way. Danny must really love God. Now if I go, Danny, I can't believe you did that. And I can't believe, how could you do that? That's just a terrible shame. And Danny go, well, I did it just because. Now do that. I did it just because. Is, is, this, is, this, is this notable? Is it something to write? Like, oh, my goodness, I see Jesus all in that. Now, it's true. You may not see Jesus in my correction. That's a fact. You have a hard time seeing that. Right? So you're not, you may not see that I'm correcting. Now, some people can. I know that pastor need to do that. That's godly right there. But you may not. All you might see is how you would feel if you were in her seat. Right? Because that's all you care about is you. So if I was there, that's how I feel. Right? Now, when you're, in, when you're in ministry and as a leader, you're looking at me. You're going, I wonder why she did that. I wonder what the ramifications of that is. Oh, I can see why she nipped that. You're looking from this perspective on how to be a better servant and leader to the people of God and to God himself. When you're not a leader, you put yourself in that seat. So to you, in that seat, I'm going to always look like the, the villain. Always. Because you're concerned with self versus kingdom. Not completely, but a large portion. Right? It's fine. Well, I'm going to grow you. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. But when you respond humbly to what other people might think is unjust or unreasonable, you shine as people of God. Because that's what Christ did. If I be lifted up. I will draw all men. Your arrogance, you're defending yourself is not drawing anybody. No one's saying, ooh, look at them defending themselves. Anybody could do that. But somebody maintaining composure and humility from the inside going, no, Pastor, I'm really sorry. Uh-huh. I need to get this right. And even after that, Pastor, no, seriously, like, get at me. No, Pastor, for real, no, what I got to do? <laughs> Pastor, I mean, okay, you fussed at me, but now seriously, how can I fix this? Get off me, Gabby. Come on, Pastor. <laughs> Tell me, how can I fix it? Gabby, get away from my car. Pastor. <laughs> I don't want to be like this. <laughs> and secretly, I'm like, good job, good job. He says, verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the English Standard Version. The fifth and last point for today I want us to look at is, are you pressing toward the goal? I know you want to ask, what is the goal? I'm pressing to something. I don't know what it is, but I'm tired. <laughs> I'm wore out. 
I don't know what I'm pressing for, but I'm definitely pressing. You say press, I press. You say press, I'm pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing. I'm a press to get to church. I'm a press to be obedient. I'm a press to get my tithes. I'm a press to go to work. I'm a press to take care of these kids. I'm a press to listen. I'm a press to receive. I don't know what I'm working it all towards, but I'm definitely gonna press. Cause you say press, I'm a press. Good job, little grasshopper. Good job. Good job. Because countless times in Philippians, Paul says, imitate me. Over and over again, he says, when in doubt about the pressure and the stress and the pain and the suffering that you're going to have to go through, when in doubt, imitate me. He's because your reasoning and your heart is going to fail you. Your reasoning and your heart is going to betray you. A man's heart is deceitful in all of his ways. Who can know it? So, all you, so imitate me. It's going to get all hazy what you're doing it for. It's going to be all hazy why you're going through all this. It's going to be real hazy about where is this for and what's the point. It's going to get real cloudy in the pain. Real cloudy in the suffering. When that happens, he says, imitate. I went through it so that you could have something to imitate. That God might get the glory out of your suffering. That's why leaders go through what they go through. Yes, it sucks, but it's good. Two things can be true. The only thing I need you to do is imitate. I know it's hard. If anybody says it's hard, I can tell you I know it's hard. I know you want to give up. If anybody can say I want to give up, I want to give up. I know you don't want to get out of bed. If anybody can say, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to go off. Anybody can say, I want to go off. Definitely say, I want to go off. But Christ strengthens me that you might have an example. He don't strengthen me because I'm good. He strengthens me that you might have an example when stuff gets cloudy for you. You say, well, I'm what I'm do. I'm just gonna do what Pastor did. Now, if I, I see Pastor in my mind, she would say, do this, do that, do that. <laughs> my pastor, she's gonna do this, do that, do that. And you see it in your mind's eye. That's when you're supposed to do it. It's like, Pastor, I go some, and I just hear you in my head. Good. I'm very happy about that. Pastor, it's just, it's just, when you say stuff, it just weighs so heavily. Good. Me and the Holy Spirit have been working on this for years. I'm so glad. I told Glenda, I said, I know I could cut you down with one look to your core. That's good. You know how long we've been trying to communicate with just a look? I ain't got to say no words. You'd be like, uh-oh. Now that's, that's progress. That's us moving on one accord. That's of the same mind with the same goal, striving in the same direction. Come on, man, you can't beat that. You see it as a problem. I see it as goals. Yeah. I can look over Miss Money. She's looking at me. Okay. Had a whole conversation. Y'all was even not even aware. <laughs> Truth be told, Miss Money was trying to communicate in, me in the spirit. She at her house, I'm at my house. Memo. <laughs> Be at your house by yourself. <laughs> Like me. 
I'm hanging up. <laughs> Couple minutes later, pass me. See, I tried to see. T- we was all in the spirit. Don't call me now. But that's progress. To be connected by the spirit. It's goals. It's what we've been working towards. You about to undo all that crop. Because you don't like extra work. You can either work as a slave to Christ with fruit or work as a slave to Pharaoh and none of that fruit is yours. But either way, you're going to work. It's not that I've already attained or already or perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Look, can we stop right here? This is the absolute hardest thing for you to do. It's the forgetting what lies behind. I know it's hard for you because you like to throw up my behind. You do. Well, Pastor, you, you, you do this. I haven't done that in two years. Well, you do. You, so you, you have a hard time getting over your past. I'm past my past. I'm moving forward. <laughs> you still dealing with the times that people called you stupid. You still dealing with the times people called you ugly. And these thoughts that lie behind keep plaguing you in the present. I don't have to talk classes on it, workshops. I, have, I had counseling sessions. It is nobody's fault but yours if you have not learned to get past your triggers. That's your work. Work out your salvation. That's your work. Pastor, I need to do Let me dig that hole. Okay. What should I need to do? All right, I see that. Let me do that. Okay, when that come up, I'm supposed to do this. When this come up, I'm supposed to do that. When this come up, I'm supposed to do that. When you're working it, then surely there's going to be a harvest. But you ain't even working your ground, and you try to, why it ain't got past it? Because you're not putting in the work. Every time it's time to put in the work, you want to quit. Oh, it's too much. Put in the work. I can't handle this. I, oh, oh, I just, I'm not coming to church. Put, put in the work. Just because you can't see how this is tied to your insecurity and conquering it doesn't mean it's not. Grace, how you feeling? You feeling a little bit better? She didn't even question why I told her to sit on her coat. She just did it. And she feeling better. It ain't in the coat. I've preached for almost another hour since then. Who would have thought? Just because you can't see how two things are related doesn't mean that God has not connected them. And wisdom, in some cases, I could explain it to you. Then why God don't want you to do that? This is why, oh, I'm, I'm not even on the camera. I'm sorry, I wouldn't move the camera. Y'all can't even see me. I just realized, hey. <laughs> right? But most times I can understand what God is doing. Not all the time, but most times. And I only disclose it with you if he says it's okay. 
And sometimes I just close it before I even check, and then it goes south. And I'm like, oh, I should have <laughs> kept that to myself. I got excited about your growth. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's hard to do. In the wake of my mom's passing and Pastor Sharon's passing, <sighs> trying to grab what I had, desiring that, trying to get my old life back. That's an old life. That life is never coming back to me again. The way I lived, everything about how I lived has changed and I can never get that back. If I don't press forward, y'all would not be here. I would lose my mind trying to gather and keep up with what I had. Constantly angry and upset and too sorrowful to even breathe because of what I lost in life. The last stage of moving, of healing, is, is to say, I have to let that go. And I have to press. Like my mom would say, run, leave a run. <laughs> you got to run forward. And I have to keep telling myself, it's, it's the reason why you're alive. It's the reason why God we still want you here. To live as Christ. To be in the flesh is to get fruit. Let's get some fruit. Let's get some fruit, let's get some fruit, let's get some fruit. I have to look forward. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Can you forget? Can you let go of that? The last point is, what are you pressing toward? Does that press to the goal? Okay, number one, are you pressing? Most people say, for the most part. I'm pressing on occasion, right? Toward the goal. What is the goal? Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A couple Sundays ago, we looked at Romans. For all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to what? His purpose. The called keeps showing up. He says, I'm pressing that I might obtain the reward of the call. The upward call. Like you're forgetting the honor associated with being a Christian. And because you don't honor it, you try to dishonor it in other people. And it bothers you that I have a, a standard because I have a call. What's really dangerous 
is when you don't know your call. Because at certain points of your life, not knowing your call, the call is dangerous. It's dangerous to you and self-destruction, and it's dangerous to anybody connected to you. Because you're a person sinking, trying to grasp for anything to stay afloat. The rest of us are just floating. It's a storm. Ooh. <laughs> oh, it's a big wave. Sometimes we. He's like, we. We. I don't like it. Hold your breath. I can't. Don't breathe in. I can't. We tried to run over this before the storm. Now look at you. The prize, the goal, is the upward call of Christ. To be the call where all things work together for the good. See, the one that runs the race and only one winner can show up. Right? To the one that endures, the one that remains steadfast. You have a prize of being the called. Paul is trying to show you, as am I, what the call looks like. You would not be here if you did not find what that looks like very appealing. You know you like this look of the call. You know you like it. You're like, I don't know. It's just, well, she ain't really got no money. She ain't even married. She ain't got no kid. Why am I following her? There's something about her relationship with God. It looks real spectacular. And it is. No cap. It's the call that you're pressing towards. You want that prize. I'm saying, I hear you calling me. I hear you asking me to come up higher, to grow, to expand, to deepen my roots, to spread out my branches. I hear that. That's why you press. Now, y'all don't really understand. See, there are times when you've pressed as far as you could go, right? And it's still not where you need to be. And you look at God and go, what is this? Now what? And he says, come up higher. And at that moment, you get to decide whether you're going to back down or trust him by faith and press just a smidge further. Constantly pushing, advancing in the right direction. Constant. Constant. Only time I'm standing still and when I'm waiting on my help to come. I'm going to hold it down until you get here. Hurry up. Jesus, send your angels. <laughs> all right, all right. We, and we push. But you got to press. You keep folding into your old you. Aren't you tired of this? It's got to be exhausting. If you're going to be exhausted crumbling to your old self, why not be exhausted pressing towards your right self? You're going to be tired anyway. 
And the truth of the matter is there are points in life where it gets so hazy that pressing doesn't seem possible. But he'll give you strength. But you've got to want him to. You have to have the will and the ability. Right? You can't ask him to add some extra to your ability when you don't even want it. That's why I tell people, I say, no, you didn't want to. I did. No, you didn't. You didn't want it bad enough. You didn't. Not being able was sufficient. You placed no demand on faith. You placed no demand. Now, I did enough. That's it. You want to go a little bit further? Mm, not really. I'm good right here. Now, you think you're going to have a lovely harvest. <laughs> you think, no, I'm good right here. This is good. Come on, miss. I won't even tell them. This going to die. You need fruit in every season. Every month, 12 months, boom, 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 boom. You got seasons of growth, seasons of fruit, seasons when you're on fire with God, seasons when you're being faithful to the church, seasons when you're giving consistently, seasons when you're real humble, seasons. Hello? So when somebody says, that's somebody me, <laughs> hey, because right now you normally give up. Don't. Press. That's your help. Whether you like it or not, that is your encouragement. Could you say it nicer? No. Could you ask me, please? No. Press. I don't see no coach, no strengthening coach. I don't see nobody that's trying to get you to the next level. So could you please lift another five for me? Could you please? Oh, if you feel like it, could you please? Hello? Apostle, we got soldiers. Lift it. Let's go. Come on. Come on. One more. And the truth of the matter is they're yelling to get over your thoughts. To shock you when you're not listening to you. Even if it's a temporary distraction. Like, why is he deading at me like that? Oh, you did five right there, look at that. <laughs> you did five just in that point. And some of y'all, you don't even know how much I pressed you. And you still is an inch further than what you was last week even though you failed shortly thereafter. <laughs> but I got that inch. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. A win is a win. It's a win. It's a win. You ain't getting no inches from me with that. I did. And for some of y'all that have been with me a long time, that's how I've been getting all my inches. <laughs> if it worked, well, why fix it? Because you got your degrees and all. Amen. Amen. You got to press toward the goal. The goal is what? The what? The upward call. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus to be able to say, I am called. To what? To service. The call is to service. He picked me 
to serve him. I mean, is that not amazing? He'd be like, hey, I got a field over here that I'm working on. I could really use an extra hand. <gasps> me? You want me to help you? I got a servant that's overworked, overstressed, and a lot of pain. You mind helping me with her? Oh, I caught you on a bad time. I got a family in need. You mind helping me with that? I got somebody that's hurt. You mind just encouraging them? I got somebody that say you hurt them. Do you mind helping me with that? Do you mind assisting me with building them back up? But I didn't even do nothing. See, that's not what I asked. Whether you did something or not, I'm calling for your assistance. You see how this works? The joy is being called to serve God Almighty. Whether it's building a stage, sweeping a floor, preaching the gospel, buying coats, showing up to church when you're tired, exhausted, the lack of sleep. Well, you're just coming up to show encouragement and support. That's what he's called you to do. He literally gave this good thing for you to do. Put it right in your hand. This is the good work I want you to do. That's it. Mom G said, Pastor, I can do something. What you can do is you can sit here. And you can be encouragement. When she got her job duty, she was encouraging all of us. Good job, good job, good job. <laughs> but isn't that just like God? If you can just tell me what you want me to do, I'll, I'll do it. And when he gives you your assignment, it fits where you are. It always fits. You can't figure it out. He says, I create good works for you to do. He said, I make them up. I make up stuff that I think you would like to do. You want to do this? No? Okay. What, you like to do this? Okay, okay. You don't like to do this, but can you tell a joke? Can you do this? That's your call. In some way. Can you sit by your sister's side? Can you help your kid with homework? That's your call to serve. And that's how he gave it to you. To diminish that is to lose a part of yourself. That's why you're insecure. Yeah. To be insecure means you're not secure in you. Am I right? Like, I'm like, ooh, wobbly in me. I'm wobbly about me. <laughs> ooh, right? When you know 
what you're called and you hear God's call, people automatically think you have the most confidence ever. You think I got a lot of confidence, don't you? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit in Jesus. That's only because I've been with him so long that I've seen him show up every time. So I just, I just really just lean on his confidence. Like, yeah, I'll be all right. Pastor, don't nothing make you scared. Nope. Nope, I ain't afraid of nothing. Now you lose him, horrible. That's why I don't play with my relationship with him. I don't want to be like some of you. Insecure about yourself. Can't press forward. Don't know if you're going or coming. No growth. That's why I pastor you. So you don't have to be like that. You have godly confidence that you hear your call and you push towards it. I see you. He's calling me upward. Pastor, he's calling me upward. He's calling me. Go, baby. Go. 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 What do you want you to do? Sweep the floor. <laughs> Good job. What do you want you to do? Go get the pizza. Great job. You did that. You better get that pizza. When you hear it, and then it creates more stability about who you are. The world's expectations does not do that. Your family's expectations do not do that. It's purely his call that sets your identity in order. It gives you this humility with confidence, what the Bible calls meekness. Pastor, she, she real. She's like, ah, sweet tart. She a lion. But then sometimes she could be a little lambish. She, she really can. She really can. She really can. She really can do that. It's meekness. You have to press towards your call, standing all over the house. 